Good morning. Great to see everyone here today. I'm glad that you're able to be a part of our uh, worship, and I hope you can be here this evening at 6 o'clock. Chris will be telling us more about this and the announcements later on, but um, we're getting ready for Vacation Bible School, and uh, this is not just something for the kids. This is something that we do as a church, as a, a ministry, an outreach to the community, and a ministry to our own kids. And It's important for all of us, so I hope that you'll be here this evening and uh, take part in that. You do not have to get in the bounce house. Um, that's not part of it, um, but um, we do hope that you'll be here. Let the kids know how important they are, how important what they're going to be doing is, and give encouragement to our teachers as well. Uh, also, I just want to mention uh, as we begin that uh, if there are any here who have decided that you're ready to follow Jesus, that we want you to know that... Uh, close of this service would be a, a wonderful time for you to step forward and say so or come and uh, tell me or tell Chris or tell uh, really anybody near you and they'll get the word to us that you're ready to confess Christ and be baptized and we would be so delighted to help you uh, to do that to become a part of the body of Christ about which we have just sung. I have a good friend in Tennessee named Dan Williams. Dan is suffering from a chronic illness and uh, not long ago, Dan wrote that when I miss church, I miss church. Because of his illness, he sometimes has to miss. But he says, when I miss church, I miss church. He misses the warmth. He misses the hugs. He misses the handshakes. He misses the voices uplifted together in song. He misses the sharing of communion. He misses the prayers. He just misses the whole experience of being together with his brothers and sisters. As I thought about that, I, I was reminded of a student of mine a number of years ago who came and talked to me, and he said, I, I've decided I want to go into the ministry, and I, I'd like some suggestions about where uh, I might go to school and get training for that. And I said, well, that's great, so let's talk about it. And so I, I said, well, first of all, where do you go to church? Where do you attend worship? And he said, oh, I, I don't ever go to church. And I said, well, okay, back up a little bit. What is it that you think ministers do? And he never really could tell me, but he just said, I, I just want to go into the ministry. And I said, well, I hate to tell you, you know, but that will involve going to church. But he's just one of millions of people who are believers in Christ and yet seldom, if ever, worship with the church. They look at their personal faith in Christ as important, but gathering together for worship like we're doing this morning, they think it's not important at all. Where does an attitude like that come from? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I think it has to do with what I describe as an over-personalization of faith. That my faith is just between me and the Lord. It doesn't include anybody else. It's just between us. That I speak of God as uh, Jesus as my personal Savior. You hear that expression an awful lot, although you never find it in Scripture. But people speak of Christ as their personal Savior, indicating this is just a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It doesn't involve anybody else. And that's an over-personalization of faith. It's a faith that is in no way dependent upon interaction with other believers unless I want it to be. 
But the other source of that attitude, I think, is a misunderstanding of an important principle that is biblical. And that's the principle that all of life is worship. And that's true. The Bible teaches us that. All of life is worship. Everything that we do ought to be done in service to God as an act of worship to him. When Paul was writing in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, he, he talked about worship. This is in the verses previous to this. He talked about Christians speaking to one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and lifting one another up and encouraging one another and teaching one another in that way. And then he says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, whether it's what you're thinking, whether it's what you're saying, whether it's every act that you do, do it in the name of Christ. And what Paul is saying there is we can't compartmentalize our lives. We can't divide them into, well, here's the sacred part, you know, that's Sunday mornings, and, and then here's the secular part, that's the rest of my life. Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus 24-7. And whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, in word or deed, you're doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means you're your home life is sacred. That means your job is sacred. That means your recreation is sacred. That, that means that your money is sacred. That means how you use it is sacred. That mean, means your relationship with your friends is sacred. Everything is sacred. Everything is worship to God. So that's a valid biblical principle. Also, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul teaches the same thing. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when Paul says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he means your whole life because everything we do in life, we do in our bodies, right? If you, if you do something out of your body, please don't tell me about it. I, don't, <laughs> I just don't want to know about that. But everything we do, we do with our body. So to present your body as a living sacrifice is to present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which Paul says is your spiritual worship. God isn't looking now for dead sacrifices. He's not looking for animals to be slain uh, in sacrifice to him as he did under the old covenant. He's looking for you and me to live for him and present our bodies as living sacrifices. So where's the misunderstanding about this over-personalization of faith? The misunderstanding is simply this, that when we begin to think, well, all of life is worship, then that means I can substitute something else for gathering with other Christians for worship. That becomes less important, that becomes perhaps even irrelevant. I don't need to do that because I, I went fishing the other day and I worshiped God as I enjoyed the beauties of nature or whatever we did. And that's what we do sometimes and that's what happens and that's where that attitude develops that we just don't really need to gather together with other believers. It comes from a failure to look at scripture closely enough because scripture teaches the importance of these special times like this morning when the church assembles for worship. You've heard it in two scripture readings this morning. You heard the one from Acts 2 verses 41 to 47. That's that great scene on the day of Pentecost when, when Peter preached the gospel of Christ for the first time after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And he told the people that they needed to know that God had made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom they had crucified. And they, they cried out and said, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41 said, those who, those who listened to his word, those who heeded his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then the very next thing we're told about those 3,000. The very next thing that we're told about them is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They became a worshiping body of believers. That's the first thing we know about them. They gathered together for worship. How do we know that's talking about worship, about gathering together for worship? It's in that expression, the prayers I notice the NIV doesn't have that. It just says they gathered together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says, and the prayers. In other words, the prayers together that the church says when we meet, as we've done this morning. So this is talking about a worship assembly. They devoted themselves to that, notice. It wasn't just something they did. It's what they devoted themselves to. It was an integral part of their lives. I can't imagine talking to any of those first believers in the days following Pentecost and, and having any of them say, you know, that was great at first, but now Christ is just my personal Savior, and this really is just between me and the Lord. I can't imagine any of them saying that, can you? And from what you read in the book of Acts, you can't imagine that any of the early Christians saying that. We never have any of them saying that. In fact, we always find them gathering together as believers in Christ, but they, they devoted themselves to worship. The other text you heard read was 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40. The church in Corinth was in chaos when Paul wrote. They were in chaos. They had a lot of stuff going on. They had people who were misusing their spiritual gifts in worship, and that was creating a kind of a chaotic, you know, sort of competitive type of worship where, you know, the, the one who could prophesy was trying to outdo the one who could speak in tongues, who was trying to outdo the one who could speak in two tongues, and, you know, they were just sort of trying to one-up each other. And they weren't waiting for one another in the observance of the Lord's Supper. Some of them were going ahead, but the ones who could be there early and bring the food were going ahead of the poor, and, and saying, well, you know, we don't need them. Let's just go ahead with it. They don't bring any food anyway. Maybe they'll bring some cookies. But, you know, we brought the, we brought the meal. Let's eat. And so by the time those other folks got there, it was, it was pretty much all over with. Things were in chaos. And there was a lot of other things causing that chaos, a, a lot of, of division. And notice that Paul says in 1426, What then, brothers, when you come together, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Make sure whatever you do, you do together to build each other up. But notice that expression, when you come together. And he assumes they do come together because they did. That's where some of the problems were happening was when they were coming together. And then you get down in that section, verses 33 to 35 where he, he has those regulations about the conduct of women in the worship assembly, which apparently was some sort of problem we can't exactly put our fingers on in reading 1 Corinthians 14. But he says, as in all the churches of the saints, 
Let the women keep silent in the churches. And then he said, it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. You get that expression three times, as in all the churches, in church, and in church again. Now, Paul's not talking about church buildings. He's not talking about the place where they are, because they didn't have church buildings yet. We have no evidence that any of the early churches had their own places of assembly uh, until uh, the end of the second century. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about when they come together in worship. That's what he says, when you come together. That is being in church. He's not talking about the buildings. He's not talking about the locations. He's talking about the worship assemblies. But did you know that the word church itself suggests this? Because the Greek word that we translate as church literally means assembly. I wonder if we might not have a different conception of the church, a different view of the church, a different outlook on the church, if we translated that word assembly instead of church. It was a common Greek term. It was in use long before Christianity came along to describe any kind of gathering. Uh, it could be a town hall meeting or something like that. That was a, that was a church. That was an ecclesia. That was an, an assembly. didn't have to be religious in nature. The word didn't have any religious connotations until it was applied to Christian assemblies. If you want to see an example of that, look at Acts chapter 19, and verse 32. When Paul was in Ephesus, his preaching had been so effective that a lot of people were stopping their worship of idols. And that meant they weren't they weren't worshiping the, the local goddess who was, who was so famous throughout the, that part of the world, Artemis. And, and there were people who made their living selling silver shrines of Artemis, uh, little trinkets kind of thing, souvenirs. You know, if you, if you came from somewhere else in the Roman Empire because you were an, an artist, a devotee, and you wanted to worship Artemis, and, and uh, you, know, you might want to take home with you one of these little silver shrines of the goddess Artemis. Well, Paul's affecting in the, uh, preaching and the preaching of others was so effective that people were turning away from the worship of Artemis. And so a guy by the name of Demetrius got all the silversmiths together and he said, fellas, we've got to do something about this because these people are preaching this Jesus person and that's turning everybody away from the worship of Artemis and our living is in danger. And then he said, oh, no, yeah. By the way, people might not worship Artemis either. He was very devoutly religious main thing was we're not going to make our money anymore. So he stirs up a crowd and the rest of them stir up a crowd and they have what's usually called the riot in Ephesus. And Paul almost gets torn to pieces uh, in this riot, but some friends of his wouldn't let him go in the midst of it. Listen to what Acts 19 says about this. Now some cried one thing, some another, for the assembly... The assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Now, that wasn't a church service, although I've been to some church services like that. That wasn't a church service, uh, but it was an assembly, okay? And then in verse 39, the town clerk gets up and urges the crowd, if you seek anything further against these men, he says it should be settled in the regular assembly and he uses the word for church again 
And then verse 41 says, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You see, that's what the, the church is. It's an assembly. It's a gathering of believers. We assemble maybe for a variety of other reasons, but the primary reason why the church assembles is for worship. And when Paul addresses his letters to the church in Corinth or to the church in Philippi or to the church in someone's house, as he sometimes does, he's talking about the assembly that meets in that particular place. And he assumes that all believers are part of one of those assemblies. He has no room in his thinking for a detached believer. He has no room in his thinking for a lone wolf disciple who's out there just enjoying just between me and the Lord. That is such an unbiblical concept. It's obvious when in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul urges the disciples to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That one another aspect is a function of the assembly. That is a function of us being church together. That's what it means. The church coming together for worship is a very special time. It's not like anything else on earth. You notice that in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul's not trying to describe uh, regulations for every situation in life. He's talking about when you come together as a church, certain things are okay and certain things aren't. If you went into the marketplace in the city of Corinth, you would hear people speaking all different kinds of languages and all these different tongues at the same time. And that's okay because that's the marketplace. But Paul says when you come together as the church, everything that's done has to be done for building up. And therefore, that kind of thing is not okay the assembling of the church together is a time for us to be thinking about each other and a time to be acutely aware of one another's needs. That's part of what we're supposed to be doing. Our worship is focused on God. It is directed toward God, no question about that. But at the same time, as we're doing that, as we are coming together, we come together recognizing the needs that people have. And that happens every time we come together. There are people who are lonely. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are in distress uh, financially. There are people who are having family problems. There are people who are having struggles at work. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And people need encouragement. People need to be built up. They need to be lifted up. So we're supposed to be thinking about each other. And everything that we do should be done to lift each other up. You see, that's why in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul couldn't let the church just go ahead with what they were doing. They couldn't just go ahead with the Lord's Supper without thinking about those who weren't able to be there yet. Those people were poor. Some of them were probably slaves. They couldn't get off because it was 6 o'clock or whatever time they were meeting. They didn't have anything to bring to contribute to the meal. They couldn't bring anything to the table. 
And so some people were just selfishly saying, let's go ahead and forget about them. And Paul says, no, when you do that, that's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He says, when you eat the Lord's Supper, you need to discern the body of Christ. And that's been misunderstood for a long time. People think that when he says discerning the body of Christ, that we're supposed to have a mental image of Jesus' body. That's okay if that's what you want to do, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about discerning that we are the body of Christ as we just sang together. When we are observing the Lord's Supper together, we are remembering that because of the death of Jesus, we are bound together in the body, and we are now a family of which the Lord is head. And so we come together knowing who we are and being reminded of who we are. We talked about this last week, that worship is more than just the sum of its parts. It's not just about doing the right things and doing them in the right way. It's about remembering who we are, that we are God's redeemed people. If that doesn't happen in worship, something's missing. Something's missing. And we come together remembering that we are thinking of one another as we do so. I've even heard some people describe public worship this way. They say, you know, I don't, I don't really worry about what's going on around me. I don't worry about what everybody else is doing. I don't worry about anything else. I, I just focus on the, on the Lord. It's just me and God. Well, if that's how you think of worship, you've missed the point. The point is not about just you and God. The point is about you and God and the person next to you and the person behind you and the person across the room. It, it's about everybody. It's not just a me and God activity. It's about his body, his believers coming together to acknowledge his greatness and our indebtedness and to lift one another up by doing so. When you have that understanding of what worship is, then when you miss church, you will miss church. You'll miss the fellowship. You'll miss being with other believers. There'll be something missing from your life, from your relationship with God. Because there's something there that you need. There's something there that God knows that we all need. There's something there that ought to be a part of our lives all the time. The opportunity to exalt God openly and lift up other believers and to be lifted up by them. So when you come together, Paul said, Something very special is happening. And aren't you thankful you aren't missing it this morning? Let's stand together and sing. <clears throat>